afternoon, universe, and welcome to your weekly dose of worldview definition. This is Cross Defense, where we break down the stronghold bad opinions and false notions of the enemy and set up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we are on a journey of imagination into the truth of Christian dogmatics, believing firmly that when God speaks, he does so with the power to enliven us, to awaken us, to, to regenerate us, even to make us rise up and speak it back to him. It's just like Paul says, we're to hunger for the truth, to watch our life and doctrine closely because the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but to suit their own passions, they will gather teachers to teach what their itching ears would rather hear. Christianity is about holding firmly against that to the trustworthy message as it has been taught to us and even in doing so, encouraging, affirming, strengthening, and saving others with these words. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, again, and today we have guests, Brothers in Arms, pastors in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, with me, Pastor Jeffrey Reese. He is senior pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tacoma, Washington. And Pastor Sean Linnell, he is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. They're both joining us by phone. And we're going to be looking at Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, pages 76 to 78, where we're, we're starting section 11 called Divisions of Christian Doctrine. And it, we're not going to get through all of the chapter, but the, the chapter is going to be talking about categories. How do we, how do we look at the Bible and understand it, right? There's the one thing, you just sit down and you read it. That's good. You want to do that. You don't want to avoid reading the Bible. But as you do read it, you find that, oh, this passage over here connects with this passage over there, and they're by different authors, but they have the same idea and the same topic and the same teaching. So you start having this dogmatic or this systematic way of understanding what's going on. That's sort of what we're going to get into now is how do we start our systematics? How do we start seeing the system of what the, the scriptures teach to us? And that's, again, uh, paragraph uh, Pages 76 to 78, uh, Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1. Gentlemen, uh, welcome to the show. I'm going to jump in here by by just reading this first sentence where he's going to give us three categories of Christian doctrine, but they're not really even categories of doctrine. They're ways of understanding doctrine, right? So it's even before he, he starts getting into systematics, he's like, what are the, the rules we have for our systematics? So he, he says this. He says, in this chapter, we shall discuss... A, law and gospel, B, fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, and C, open questions and theological problems. Now, we're going to get into each of those a little more in depth, and today we're just really digging into law and gospel, just the starting tip of the iceberg of that. But what do you make of, and feel free to, to say, Pastor, Pastor Fitz Jonathan, you know, I don't make anything of this, but what do you make of his use of these three items to start off his his section on divisions of Christian dogmatics? Because it seems kind of weird, like initially, law and gospel, okay, that sounds familiar, but now fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, huh? And open questions and theological problems. What's he getting at here? What's he trying to do for us? Uh, uh, Pastor Reese, I'll give you first shot. Well, this is really helpful, actually, because, well, first, obviously, any, any Lutheran who's been through catechesis ought to know by law and gospel uh, as categories are helpful. But fundamental and non-fundamental doctrines, where does the rubber meet the road? Where do we get to a point where we have to start talking about breaking a fellowship when uh, we're divided in a doctrinal way. Um, open questions and theological problems. Uh, there are some things in theology that are open questions, and there are theological conundrums that we have uh, where we, we can't land on anything solid. Um, 
until we identify those, we really can't argue with anybody. <laughs> so if, if, if we have not got agreement on what's fundamental and what's non-fundamental in doctrine, I can't really have a doctrinal argument with you. Because until we've established that, we're probably going to be talking past each other. Same thing with open questions and theological problems. We have to identify what we believe are really open questions and theological problems, and what are actually set in stone and clear in Scripture. Until we agree on that, we cannot really argue about Scripture. So in a sense, if these are the... If we think of systematics as being the house that theology built, this is like the—I forget what—not the stills, that's the wrong word, but the, the scaffolding kind of around the building to help us kind of look at different angles of it. Uh, right. Pastor Linnell? Right. Uh, so, again, I, I think that, like you said, that the three distinctions are, are pretty important, and I think that he's also ordered them uh, in the order of importance. Because, like you said, when you're reading through the Bible— um, like this first one, Law and Gospel, um, is this about you or is it about Jesus, right? And that's important when you're reading through the Bible, because if you get that wrong, you hmm. screw up a lot of things, hmm. you know? And then again, you know, like, like our brother said, you know, the uh, fundamental and, and non-fundamental doctrines, you know, we're not saying, like, is this part of the Bible important? Is this part of the Bible not important? Um, and I think a lot of people end up screwing this up. Uh, that section is going to be really important later because people are going to say things like, you know, oh, well, well, maybe baptism isn't really like, you know, a fundamental doctrine. And then you go, no, I think you, you fundamentally misunderstand the issue. Um, and then you get to things that, that are, are, are really open-ended questions or things that the Bible doesn't tell us, you know? And so it's, it's okay to say, I don't know, or to say, maybe that's not, Maybe that's not what, you know, God gave you the Bible for. For example, um, the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the devil, you know? Mm. I mean, the devil exists, certainly. He's not your friend. But the Bible's not there to teach you about the devil. The Bible's there to teach you about Jesus, you know, and, and your relationship with God in that respect. So, you know, don't get lost and don't focus on things that, that aren't the focus, that aren't the problem. Um, and, and dividing it those three ways, it really gives us a, a, a good sort of guide for reading the Scriptures and not getting lost, which is important because he just spent 75 pages telling us that it's all about the Scriptures. Yeah, yes, that's the truth. <laughs> so I think it is, is interesting here as well that, on the one hand, so this is the scaffolding around the house of theology built, right? And, and fundamental, non-fundamental doctrines, open questions, theological problems, this is ways of looking at doctrines. Law and gospel is also a way of looking at doctrines, and yet it is a doctrine itself. It's kind of this bridge, and maybe that's why he's got it put here first, because it's like uh, Walther tells us that if if you don't get this one right, you can read the Bible all day long. You're going to get it wrong. <laughs> you're you're, uh -huh. you're going to mis misunderstand the entire thing. We're just kind of getting into that opening section then today on law and gospel, and he's going to tell us at one point. There's, there's much more later in volume three on this topic because you can't really get enough of it. Today is going to really kind of jump into with though those who are saying this is a wasted idea. Yeah, right, kind of all together. And that's what the opening segments on page 76 do say, where uh, Father H.R. Frank has called attention to the fact, Pieper says, that the doctrine of law and gospel, and in particular of the difference between law and gospel, a doctrine which Luther and the old theologians treated most thoroughly, has practically disappeared from modern theology. 
modern theologians have no use for it. And then he quotes a couple of individuals' names that we don't really need to recognize uh, necessarily, but they've declared most emphatically that the customary distinction between law and gospel with all that it implies is incorrect. Or here's another quote, there is no sense after the matter of the old dogmatics in dividing the word of God into law and gospel. Uh, and uh, again, it characterizes the present state of affairs that men find also this part of evangelical doctrine objectionable and declare it to be in conflict with the true evangelical spirit. So he's kind of summarizing what he sees, modern world. Again, this is 1900s, right? This isn't today. This, this is 100 years ago. He says the modern world and the state of the church today is characterized by an absence of the distinction between law and gospel. And I couldn't agree more that that's what I see convoluting and, and and destroying American Christianity today, whether we're talking about the struggles of Missouri Synod churches or whether we're talking about the, the wider evangelical world or the Roman Catholic world, the fundamental thing we all have in common that is hurting us is failing to distinguish between law and gospel. Before we even talk about that, guys, we haven't even defined it, right? So, so what does it mean to distinguish between law and gospel, and why is it so important? Uh, Pastor Reese, you go with either one of those directions, you know, kind of responding to Peeper or, or defining it yourself, but what are your thoughts in response to all of that? Well, first of all, I, I had to um, smile a little bit when uh, you, you know, you always read in the opening segment, Second Timothy 4, verse 3, and uh, that, that could not be more apropos to read as we go into this section, because it's precisely what Peeper is complaining about or, or decrying. is. And, and there is nothing new under the sun. As you said, this was 100 years ago. This was a problem during the Reformation. Um, that's why there was such a, 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 there was a bigger split than just the, the Lutheran reformers. There was also, you know, all these other things going on where folks were going in other directions beyond sound teaching. Uh, in spite of the fact that the Reformation was supposed to be about restoring sound teaching. Um, this has just always been a problem, and until Jesus comes back, it's always going to be a problem because the Church is populated by sinners. Um, uh, and so I, I, this is really important. This section is incredibly important as, as Peter uh, goes into law and gospel because of this problem. Uh, and. To, to address the law and gospel issue, one simple way to do it, and one of the first things I teach my, my catechumens in, in the most simple terms, the law is what, is what the Word or what God demands of us. So, and the gospel is the good news that what God demands of us has been accomplished in Christ. And that, that's a very, very simple way of putting it. Pastor Linnell? Yeah, yeah, you know, law and gospel. What does God want? And then what, is, what does God give? What does God want for you? What does he give to you, you know? Um, I, I appreciate very much kind of how Peeper starts out, where he's just sort of like, hey, Frank says this. <laughs> and if you don't know who, you know, who, who that is, um, then it's just sort of like, because I mean, he starts another a sentence two or three later, just Frank says. I'm like, well, that's great. You know, what is, what is Todd? Oh, we lost him. Oh, mm. Pastor Linnell. Oh, sorry. There you go. Yeah, You're back. Sorry. You're back. No, don't worry. We're not streaming. Um, but yeah, so, you know, what is, what is Todd and Jeff say? What's, what's, what's going on? But, um, so he brings this up, you know, as law and gospel, because it's, um, a lot of times we, we end up thinking that 
oh, there's, you know, there's sharper iron that we do in the morning, and then we're, you know, we're going through and we're getting the scriptures, and it's a very personal sort of devotional thing, and then, you know, maybe we'll get into cross-defense, and that's that's a little bit more academic. It's this, and that's, that's, it's really not true, you know. If, if you're doing, if you, you can be a theologian without being a pastor, but you can't be a pastor without being a theologian. Hmm. And and law and gospel isn't some arbitrary distinction by which academics divide up the Bible so that they can understand it better. Law and gospel is is the 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 art, right? The the very loving task of of speaking uh, God's word to. Uh, to his own children, to his own people, you know, to to read it, to hear it yourself, and to to understand that that God is um, is loving you and interacting with you and, and speaking to you. He's he's dealing with you as as a loving parent would. And there are rules, but those rules don't mean that I fail to love you. And the balance of those two things and not screwing them up is the foundation of this healthy relationship between a parent and a child, and most of all, between the father and, and us as his children. You know, because, again, if, if you're not in that relationship, then it's all going to be law, and you're not going to see any love. Go read, not you personally, but, you know, if, if anybody's listening, go read the first two paragraphs to the large catechism's explanation on the first commandment. The commandments are law. But those first two paragraphs are beautiful and comforting from Luther, and you you see how it's important to to have those two things there in a in proper balance. So, okay, Pastor Linnell, but the, the, what do you make of this uh, this statement by Peeper that the modern theologian doesn't have any place for what you just said? And, and particularly, I'm going to look for this from both of you guys. Can you do you have examples of this? Maybe you heard this, whether it's through a public teacher, whether it's through an offhanded comment somebody makes. That modern Christianity ha- is is just done with this idea. Um, sure. I mean, I'll go first. I guess. Um, right. So what ends up happening when you screw up long gospel is that you end up with a lot of improper questions. You're asking questions that um, belong to the gospel, but you're you're asking them in a law sort of way, or questions that belong to the law, and you're you're acting as if they're they're questions of of the gospel. So let me give you a, an example. Um, we talked about this this Sunday during worship. What's the bottom bar for salvation? What's the minimum requirement in order to be saved? Right? I think it's a question that bothers a lot of people. Right? I'm, it bothers me sometimes. Right? What is the least possible sort of thing, and you count as being saved. It's an improper question. You're never going to get an answer that's going to be comforting, and, um, and you're always going to fail, because that is a question that asks of the law, how do I be saved? Hmm. What does God require of me, right? That's a law question, in order to be saved, which belongs to the gospel. And so it doesn't matter what you get or what, you know, typically you're always going to set the bar too low, right? Because the law demands too much. And then you're never going to be satisfied anyway, because people are still not going to meet it. And you're never going to be sure that you're going to meet it. So modern day theologians, modern day Christianity ends up screwing this up a whole lot because, um, for example, uh, charismatic fundamentalist sort of realms of Christianity really, really push the whole, you need to be saved how do you go get people saved? But in order to do that, they have to answer the question, what's the bottom bar of salvation? 
So they go out and try to get people to meet that bottom bar, which is praying the sinner's prayer or doing something else that the Bible doesn't actually command, because they've had to set the bar far lower than the law does in the Bible, which is absolute perfection, you know, as opposed to going out and saying, this is the gospel, that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins, they phrase the gospel as this, if you, and then whatever else follows, if you ask Jesus in your heart, right, then you can be saved. You've taken salvation away from Jesus, right, and you've placed it into the hands of the sinner who needs to be saved, and he can't do anything with it, right? And so that is what American Christianity, uh, in a nutshell, has basically done, um, is taken something that should be the gospel that you can probably hear it's so close to being the gospel, but yet so far away. And what they've handed you is something completely useless, and you just beat yourself in the face with it. Pastor, same question to you. How, how have you experienced the truth of Peeper Speaks here, that modern Christianity has no place for the proper distinction between law and gospel? Well, I'll speak to the other side of the same coin that uh, Pastor Linnell is speaking of. Um, you know, he's talking more about the fundamentalist side of things, that you can go to the other side, and what's often uh, we Lutherans might identify as antinomian side of things, those who have kind of basically jettisoned the law and are focused squarely on the gospel, which is kind of ironic because then you lose the gospel, because what need of you of the gospel if the law is no longer, you know, has any force? Um, and so you have uh, you have church bodies that are uh, not only not condemning things like abortion uh, or gay marriage, etc., but they're promoting it. And uh, there's even church bodies where the uh, female clergy are allowed to have abortions paid for by their health plans. I mean, so you, you've taken uh, fundamental doctrines uh, of the church, you know, given by Christ Himself given in the Word, right in the Ten Commandments, in fact, and you basically said, yeah, these no longer apply. And in so doing, um, and I think Pieper puts it well here uh, in, in the section we're covering um, on the, the top of page 77. I was really starting on the bottom of page 76, but on the top of 77, he starts talking about the, the modern theologian's denial of Christ's vicarious satisfaction. And, and then he goes in uh, to that a little bit more later in the, in the top paragraph of 77. He says, If Christ has not in our stead fulfilled the requirements of the law, which binds mankind and suffered its punishment in our stead, it follows that man must somehow by his own work and his own virtues either effect his reconciliation with God or complete the reconciliation begun by Christ. This problem haunts both the fundamentalist and the antinomian because both are trying to define their situation according to the law. The antinomian by basically saying the law doesn't apply, and the fundamentalist by embracing the law wholeheartedly and making the gospel, or the, the law of the gospel. And, and in either case, it's all about me, and it's not about Jesus. Yeah, I love where you went there, and I love how Pieper says it himself. It, it should not surprise us that people have no use for the proper distinction because they don't believe in the vicarious atonement. And once that's gone, not much left. Cross defense, we'll be right back. Stick around. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122, verse 1. Each weekday, the servants of God at the LCMS International Center gather together to receive the gifts of God in His Word. I invite you to join us weekdays, 10 a.m. for a live broadcast of daily chapel services on KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. 
Join Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service and congregations across the country as we celebrate Refugee Sunday, a time to lift up the gifts that migrants and refugees bring to our country and to reflect on Christ's message to welcome the stranger. Together, we can continue the mission of welcoming, embracing, and empowering newcomers. Visit lirs.org slash kit to download the Refugee Sunday Kit for your congregations, including worship guides, bulletin inserts, videos, and more. lirs.org slash kit. Do you want a simple and convenient way of making gifts to Worldwide KFUO? A donor-advised fund may be the solution. A donor-advised fund allows you to choose the timing and amounts of your gifts to Worldwide KFUO, along with making gifts to other ministries. If you have questions about donor-advised funds or planned gifts, call Mary at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions about using donor-advised funds for making gifts to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Listen across to fans on Worldwide KFUO. Dr. Pieper tells us that the character of modern theology, the character of Christianity as we see it in our world today, but also of false Christianity is really what he's getting at, is a denial of the vicarious satisfaction of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And he says it makes sense then, since people don't really believe they've actually been entirely justified and paid for by Jesus, that they don't find much use for the proper distinction between law and gospel. Because certainly, and this is Dr. Pieper on page 77, if God did not fully reconcile mankind unto himself through Christ's vicarious satisfaction, if Christ has not in our stead fulfilled the requirements of the law which binds mankind and suffered its punishments in our stead. It necessarily follows that man must somehow, by his own work and his own virtues, either effect his reconciliation with God or complete the reconciliation begun by Christ. That is just what modern theologians teach. The conservatives, in scare quotes, among them too, also hold that the Savior's work of reconciliation must be supplemented by man's holiness. One of them says it this way, We are compelled to make the transformation of man a factor in the work of the atonement. That does away with the difference between law and gospel what we get as frank puts it and who's this guy frank again i think it's his last name by the way but i, I know you know that linnell but for everybody else out there as frank frank says it uh you get a veritable hodgepodge of answers right and this is what he was getting at when he was talking about scripture before is once you lose the scripture principle once you lose the vicarious atonement principle, you just get whatever anybody kind of feels like saying, right? So you have a, a big church with a, a guy in front holding the Bible, and he says, I'm saying stuff. But you, who knows what it is? And it's certainly not what they're saying at the big church up the road. They're saying different stuff because they're just saying whatever whatever their itching ears really are, are teaching them to say. This hodgepodge, just to kind of open the next paragraph, is not a harmless matter. Scripture warns us that the commingling of law and gospel has fatal results. Pastor Reese, you want to take first shot? Yeah, just to just to kind of finish up what I was saying before the break, the it's two sides of the same coin, because whether whether you're on the the fundamentalist side that you often see in in Pentecostal circles, or whether you're on the more liberal, what we sometimes call antinomian side of things, where you see in the more in the churches that are more permissive and and try to redefine things so that they're no longer sin, you have the same problem. You don't need Jesus. The, the fundamentalist doesn't need Jesus because he can do it himself. The antinomian or the more liberal uh, approach to Scripture doesn't need Jesus because what they're doing or they're, they're, the life they're living isn't sinful. And so either way, you don't need Jesus. Same coin, just different sides. Pastor Linnell? Yeah, and I, I really love you know the format of, of being here with, uh, with another pastor because 
you know, sometimes like I, I really get focused in my particular context on like one side of the coin and, and fail to see the other side, at least in the moment. So I really appreciate you know, having somebody there who, who, you know, can fill that out and, and the things that I, you know, forget it. I really like that. Um, you know, when, when he starts talking about that, and again, this quote, you know, right, we're compelled to make the transformation of manufacture in the work of the atonement, which is a quote of something that's bad. Um, it, it does the opposite thing, which is, you know, rather than seeking atonement or seeking salvation or even seeking good works, and it, it sort of shoots itself in the foot. You know, he says this hodgepodge is not a harmless matter. You know, when, when your goal is to go out and do good works so that you make God happy so that God gives you something, then that's not a good work. Hmm. Um, it's just another way to sin. And it's a, a thing that's really different. It doesn't mean that pleasing God is a sin. That's not what I'm saying. If you're pleasing God in order to get something, well, then you're not really trying to please God. You're trying to serve yourself. You know, It's, it's a difficult thing for uh, a lot of uh, Christians. It's a difficult thing for the confirmand sometimes to, to grab onto, is that you can sin by trying to be a good person, depending on what your motivation is. So, you know, when you have uh, uh, churches on, on either the, the fundamentalist or the, you know, the antinomian side of things, and they're, they're, you know, teaching that you need to be transformed as a person and do these things because that's what God wants you to be and everything else. I mean, yeah, I can't, I mean, I, I see kind of what you're saying, but, but the context in which you're saying it is still incredibly selfish. You know, if salvation was purely in Christ and it's given to you by grace alone, then maybe your question, you know, your transforming work as part of the atonement, you're asking the wrong question because you're screwing up law and gospel. It's not about what do you need or what needs to be done for the atonement, because Christ has all done that. What it should be is what does my neighbor need? You know, why am I going out and doing these things? Because they need it and because I love them. There's nothing to do with, you know, fulfilling the atonement or, you know, well, this is the mission that God sent us out to do is this, and we need to do that in order to be good Christians and fulfill. Oh, yeah, that I get that. That's great. But do you love them? Do they need it? Then why can't we just focus on that? Um, and it's funny because you, you see this a lot in both the, the antinomian side of things and the fundamental side of things. I mean, you take a look at Hollywood. Hollywood does uh, so much charity and so much, you know, work to try and, and help out people. But why? I'm not going to say that I know it's in somebody's heart and say that they don't love other people. But if, if you don't have any gospel at all, then you have to do that in order to be a good person and in order to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and be happy with yourself. It's not a completely selfless thing. It's not entirely because of your neighbor. It's because that's what you need in order to give your life meaning because Christ isn't doing that for you. Reese? Where, where in the Gospels does Jesus say something about when you when you're when you're fulfilling the law or when you're obeying the law, you're simply doing what you're supposed to do. You're really not doing a good work, or or you're not really doing anything that's that's uh, really you know special or should be. I, I, I'm trying to even remember the context, but he's, yeah, I, I I believe that it's in uh, in Luke, like after they're saying, "Well, how many times should I forgive my neighbor?" and then he says, "So you know." Does a servant come in from the field and expect his master to say, come sit at the table? After you've yeah. done all of this, you should say, I have done nothing but my duty. I'm an unworthy servant. Yeah, so it's sort of like me going down to the—I live in Pierce County, Washington, going down to the Pierce County courthouse and walking in and, and walking before a judge and saying, hey, 
you know, I, I haven't sped since I've lived in Pierce County, um, which would be a lie, but let's just pretend that I haven't sped since <laughs> I lived in Pierce County. And, and you know, I, I've, I've obeyed every law that, that Pierce County has and, and, and in the state of Washington has, so where's my reward? That's right. You know, That's right. It's uh, totally absurd. The judge would either throw me in jail for contempt of court because I'm interrupting a court, or uh, or he'd just laugh me out of the room. I, I've said it before, and, and I think I'll say it again because I don't ever think I say it well enough, but it is a beautiful demonstration of just how evil we are that we think good should be rewarded. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. that shows you how bad we are because we, we think we need to get something out of being good. That <laughs> mm-hmm. is the most wicked thing I can imagine. It just it it boggles my mind to even to even think about that. I'm going to push us forward in the text a little bit here. Again, on page 77, second full paragraph, second sentence, it says the word it. It's referring to Scripture from the par- from the sentence before. Th- excuse me, third full sentence. Scripture definitely tells us, or excuse me, tells the sinner who is seeking remission of his sins and eternal salvation that he can obtain this remission of sins and eternal salvation in no other way than by completely eliminating the law from this consideration and placing himself under the gospel. And he's going to list a bunch of passages where this only gospel, no law, salvation is emphasized. This is God's method of forgiving sins and bestowing salvation. Quote, without the law, Romans 3. Quote, by faith, without deeds of the law, Romans 3 again. Quote, by faith in Jesus Christ, Galatians 2, Romans 3. Quote, through faith, Ephesians 2. Quote, through the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. And that's just a just a smattering. There's many, many more. All who refuse to eliminate the law and the matter of obtaining grace and salvation remain under the curse of the law, since the law pronounces the curse on everyone who has not continued in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And that is a paraphrase of Galatians chapter 3. So he says, he's going to quote a little Luther here, Luther is therefore right in saying that every Christian must know the art of separating law and gospel. If this is lacking, one cannot tell a Christian from a pagan. Oh, I oh, I feel like we could talk about that just last sentence there forever. So I'm, I'll throw it at you first this time, Linnell. I'm just going to read that last bit again. You can go wherever you want, though. If this is lacking, if the proper distinction between law and gospel is lacking, you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a pagan, no matter what they say they are or where they go to church. What are your thoughts? Right. So he says completely eliminating the law from his consideration. And what Pieper is not saying is that you should throw away the law and be an antinomian. He's saying that if you're talking about salvation, how are you saved? The law doesn't have a a part in that, except in that Jesus fulfilled it. But the law doesn't save you. The law is still there. It doesn't go anywhere, right? You know, jot or tittle or anything shall pass away. You know, but the law is there to, um, among the three uses, right, to reveal your need for Jesus and for salvation and how you can't keep it. It accuses and it, you know, and it directs and and that. So when we're talking about salvation, you have to eliminate the law from your consideration. Um, To take this back to, you know, an example that I brought up, if you're looking for the bottom bar to what you need to be saved, you're not eliminating the law from your consideration because that bar is the law. You know, there is no bottom bar. There's only Jesus, you know, and, and without that, what, and everything that Jesus has done and everything that it means to be in the gospel, it's not just believing in Jesus, right? 
You know, it's not just believing in Jesus and everything that he has done, but it's it's everything that he's given you, right? All three articles and the, the, the sacraments that come in and everything else. So let's, let's put this into a practical example for what happens when you don't eliminate the law from your consideration. Um, why should a Christian go to church? I mean, the law does say that you need to be here. So good, right? I'm not saying you should not speak the law, but ultimately the law isn't going to motivate you to come to church and receive what it is that God has has given, right? The gospel motivates you to do those things that are good. I think that it's great if the law motivates you to be here and you otherwise wouldn't so that you can hear the gospel, but ultimately if you are coming to church because you think that God demands that you be here in church, and church is going to, and I mean worship, then, then worship is going to become a burden for you, and, and you're really not going to be very joyful, I suppose, in being there. The God can still use all things for the good of those who love him, um, but you come to church because where else would you rather be? What else are you going to be receiving from any other place that is more precious and wonderful and needful that you desire more than the forgiveness of your sins, life and salvation, which, which comes from these things? And so what you end up having, whether it's on the antinomian side or the fundamentalist side, is a lot of people coming to worship um, and, and completely missing the point, because you've, you've screwed up law and gospel, and they're coming to worship either to give God something that God has demanded, or to receive something because, right, they came here, and because they did these things, not because God has promised for it to be there. And then you get this in- incredibly harmful sort of thing that the devil has twisted around and made what, you know, worship is supposed to be, this wonderful gift and service of God, into something that we're doing. Reese. Yeah, I mean, if if you're going to make the law your thing, then then that's what people are trying to get out here. That's what Paul's getting at, you know, all over Galatians. That's what he gets at in in Romans chapter six, and and this is where Jesus goes in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five through seven. If you're going to do the law, you'd better do all of it. And if yeah. you can't do, because if you can't do all of it, you go to hell. Hmm. And that's, I mean, verse 20 in Matthew 5, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, wait, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're a shoe-in, right? I mean, that's what everybody assumed. But Jesus said, no, the scribes and the Pharisees fall short. Your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees if you're going to get in. And in verse 48 of, of Matthew 5, the last, last verse of Matthew 5, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But if you're going to do the law, you better do every last jot and tittle. And it's already too late, because you were born into sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, so, and then in that oh, respect, oh, you oh. go ahead and you say... Oh, go ahead. I started the music, but I think I stopped it. I think we're good. Go, go. Well, and then it's going to say, you know, so in that respect, you go ahead and you take a look at um, Judaism today, which is the Pharisees, um, and you take a look at, at Islam, and you say, how, how much difference is there, really? Mm-hmm. Not not a tremendous amount, but if you if you take Christianity as what it is supposed to be, and what the Bible has given it, they're fundamentally different. If you take Christianity that that puts itself up as the law, uh, which isn't Christianity at all, well, then what's the difference? Why can't the Catholic Pope pray with, you know, the the the, the Muslims and the and the Jews and everything else? And why can't we all gather together and, you know, have joint worship services? Because you know. Really, we're all trying to get at the same thing, right? Well, no. No, we're not. And the worship services that, that they have and the things that they do and 
you know, the Wiccan ceremonies and everything trying to please God by their works, we're not trying to do that at all. Hmm. We don't have anything in common. But when you screw that up, you know, hey, what's the difference? If we're all trying to get to the same place, then we're all trying to justify ourselves. Christianity is not about justifying yourself. It's about being justified, which isn't about getting anywhere. It's about Jesus coming and getting you across the fence. We'll be right back. Does not the Bible reveal that all Christians are regarded as sons of God? Then how do we understand this hymn we're going to be looking at on the next Law and Gospel entitled, The Only Son from Heaven? Theology is the art of making distinctions, and we will do that. Weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. KFUO embracing today's technologies to bring the good news message of Christ to the world. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth or sync up to listen in your car while driving anywhere. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org. On the air, online, and on demand, the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Digital photography, multispectral and forensic imaging, and sophisticated data retrieval methods are new digital tools revolutionizing biblical research. Early Manuscripts Electronic Library and the Lazarus Project are partnering with Museum of the Bible on an exciting project. Scholars used state-of-the-art spectral imaging to study the Codex Clamasi Rescriptus, a 9th century manuscript from the museum collection. This manuscript consists of different layers of texts, usually two but sometimes three from different time periods. The imaging project digitally resurrects this erased writing, including biblical texts from centuries earlier in Greek and Christian Palestinian Aramaic. Scholars can also collect data to analyze ink and parchments of other ancient manuscripts. There's no question technology is impacting how we read and study the Bible. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. There is only one way to be and remain a Christian, Dr. Francis Pieper tells us as he talks about how we look at Christian doctrine. It's understanding law and gospel. Man must silence his conscience against the accusations of the law. How? Not with his own works but with the gospel, which assures him of the forgiveness of sins without the law. Talking with Pastor Jeffries and Pastor Sean Linnell here on Cross Defense, I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk. We're in Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, page 77. I'm going to read a little further ahead, gentlemen. Right after where I just left off, only those men are able to lead a holy life, according to the law, who are not under the law, but under grace. I think that right there, that is a profound statement. So so some people will say that if you if you believe in law and gospel and, and teach forgiveness of sins apart from the law, then people will they'll reject the law and they'll all be antinomians. And and here he's saying, no, no, Romans teaches pretty much that if you really want to love the law, you have to keep it in its proper place. You actually can't idolize it, you can't make it your God. Instead, once you have a God who sets you free, the law in its proper place, chained to the cross of Jesus. Jesus Christ becomes something that you can pursue and and uh, kind of chase after. He says all this will be treated in detail in the chapter on the means of grace under the heading law and gospel in volume three. Here we are 
presenting only so much as bears on the matter before us, the divisions of doctrines of Scripture and characteristics of true theology and the true theologian. So before we go into our last paragraph, do either one of you want to respond to this? Uh, again, only those men are able to lead a holy life according to the law who are not under the law, but under grace. This is pretty much what Paul's trying to get at in Romans 6. It's on my mind because I was just teaching it in Sunday school yesterday morning. Um, this is this is the whole theme of Romans 6. You know, your, uh, you know, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? He asks that kind of absurd, I think, sarcastic question because he's trying to say, you know, that's how that's how people who treat the the law as if it no longer has any force go. You know, they they it's sort of a cheap grace. I I, I can do what I want because Jesus loves me and has forgiven me, so it doesn't matter what I do. Uh, as opposed to acknowledging the great cost uh, of Jesus' forgiveness. Um, and then, on the other hand, then there are those who, who think they need to obey the law, and that's it's their obedience to the law that's going to get them salvation. And he's like, no, you know, we're, we're dead with Christ in baptism. And so sin no longer has dominion over me. That's, that's the verse that uh, um, Peeper notes, verse 14, sin no longer has dominion over you since you are not under the law but under grace. Um, but not being under the law doesn't mean we can sin or that we ought to sin. It, it, it means that the sin no longer has the power to take us to hell because Christ has already done that for us. And Lanel? I'm losing my train of thought, so I'll let Pastor Lanel Yeah, Lanel? Oh. Uh, yeah, you know, only those men were able to lead a holy life according to the law who are not under the law but under grace. If you're trying to fulfill the law in order to get a reward, then you're not actually trying to fulfill the law. You don't want to fulfill the law. If there was any other way to get what you wanted than fulfilling the law, you'd do it another way. But being regenerate in spirit, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you now, you've been, you know, you're under grace, you know, being this new person, even though the sinner does remain, right, the flesh, and Paul talks about that, you know, after chapter 6 in Romans, but into, into you know, 7 and, and 8. But, you know, you say, well, but I want to. It's no longer that I have to. It's that I get to. I want to be the person that the law describes. I want to be a good person, not because I want a reward, but because that's what I want to be. I want to love the Lord with all my heart. I want to love my neighbor as myself. I want to be a good neighbor and a good husband and a good father and a good pastor. I want, I'm want. i not those things, and it kills me inside that I'm not those things. I want it so badly, and only then, because the Holy Spirit, Spirit is the one that's creating that desire and that movement within my heart. Only then can it truly be said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor is yourself, even if your actions don't represent that, because it's what you want desperately, regardless of whether or not you're able to fulfill it in the flesh. And that's how faith is the fulfilling of the law uh, in a, uh, as, the, as the regenerate moment, right? That, that suddenly, mm-hmm. because Jesus has done it for you, you have this desire to do it, not for yourself, right? But, but because of what it is and what God has designed it to be. Uh, moving into this last paragraph, I want to make sure we, we, we get to it. So uh, he goes on and he says, Holy Scripture, the Word of God is divided into law and gospel. Right? We've been kind of saying that, but it's the first time he's really just 
just come out and say that directly. But maybe that's important to just kind of dwell on. You know, there, the, the Bible says two things over and over and over again, and they're two very different things. That's what he's going to drive here, drive home here. The theologian must teach both without curtailment or alteration. He dare not discard any part of the law nor make any alterations in the gospel. As for the law, God declares till heaven and earth pass, one uh, one jot or tittle shall not in no wise, <laughs> I'm getting caught on the King James here, sorry, one jot or tittle shall in no wise pass from the law. And he has the warning, whoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. As for the gospel, the apostle Paul pronounces the curse on everyone who teaches any other gospel than he himself taught. But now, law and gospel are absolute opposites. And this is kind of his main point in the paragraph, right? Uh, The law curses everyone who has not kept it perfectly and is the ministry of condemnation. But according to the gospel, God does not impute to man the transgression of the law. This is the gospel of grace and the ministration of righteousness. How shall the theologian meet this seemingly confusing situation? That is that the scripture says two things and they're opposites, right? They're against each other in a very kind of evident way. He will preach both law and gospel in their full force. But no confusion can arise if he keeps law and gospel separate. He does this when he confines each to its own particular sphere, right? And at least at St. Louis Seminary, we talked about the horizontal sphere and the vertical sphere. And I think it's a nice way of thinking about it, that the law is sort of about my life with my neighbor and the gospel is sort of about my life with God. Now, certainly that the Ten Commandments do have a bit of a vertical element to them as well, but they flow from him to me first in the gospel. Uh, He who knows then when and where to apply the law and when and where to apply the gospel is indeed, Pieper says, a Christian theologian. So we can bounce this one around a little bit for for the last few minutes here. There are two words. They are opposite of each other. If you put them in the wrong place, but if you keep them in their proper place, there's a wonderful symbiosis between them, a harmony, as it were, provided that we understand that one predominates because it saves, yet that doesn't make the other one any less true. Uh, Pastor Pastor Linnell, let's go first here. Yeah, um, so it, again, it says, you know, whoever can distinguish these two is, is truly the Christian theologian. Um, you know, doing this, distinguishing the two and applying it is uh, the, you know, the primary vocation that you know, that, that I occupy here in, in the Office of Holy Ministry, but it's something that all Christians uh, are, are called to do. All Christians are called to be theologians. That's what you're called to be with your brother and sister in Christ as you interact with them. You know, the, the relationship between a, a parent and a child is a really great example. You're called to do this as a parent with your child all the time. You know, how do you give them discipline and direction and uphold the rules while at the same time showing them that you love them? And it can be really difficult when you screw this up. It doesn't get any easier from the perspective of a pastor when when people come in. And it's it's something that I screw up every day, I'm quite certain, and I try really hard to, to be decent at it. Um, because you can't tell what's in someone's heart, and the law and the gospel do fundamentally different things. When somebody comes in and they're asking, you know, a question, or they're coming in with something, and you apply the law, you are trying to kill them inside. Hmm. Hmm. That is what you are trying to, or you're, you know, applying the law that the law might do it, right? And when you apply the gospel, it's it's that, that life might be be there by the Holy Spirit. And if if the gospel is given to one who is secure in their sins, then, you know, you're, you're watering a dead fern. You're, it's not doing anything good. And to apply the, the law when someone is already crushed is perhaps even worse because, you know, you're, you're not kicking a dead horse, you're kicking a dead loved one. 
And, and knowing the difference is impossible sometimes. You, you just have to pray that the Holy Spirit guides you. But it's important, and it is the highest of tasks for all of us. And that's why he starts off by giving us this, this consideration for law and gospel as we begin our task as theologians and as we begin this task of reading through the, dog, the dogmatics. You know, as, um, well... There's a lot more that could be said about that, so I'm just going to go ahead and do what Peeper does and say in 2,000 pages we'll come back and talk yes, about it. Yes, that's right, that's right. I want to jump in on what you said about killing. The law kills, and to misapply it is to have, as he says back on page 77, fatal results, right? So that if you don't understand the distinction between law and gospel, as much as you're out there screaming mission of the church, mission of the church, you might just actually be destroying people's faith and, and emptying <laughs> emptying the, the the church of the present age of the believer by crushing people who are hungry. You know, the, the smoldering wick he will not quench. Well, maybe you're doing it. Yeah. And that's why this is such an important thing and why being a, a preacher is such a fearful thing. It's not something you go out and you say, I should go do this. It's like, go out with a little fear and trembling yourself. Lord Jesus, have mercy and let me apply the mercy rightly and call the sinner to repentance when the time comes. Pastor Reese, thoughts? Oh, what's coming to my mind is uh, Bo Geertz and the Hammer of God, which I, I've, I've brought up before either on this program or another one. I can't remember. But the, the, first, the first story, the first novella in that work, I think Bo Geertz really gets at this in a, in, a, in a way that you're seeing a hypothetical, real-life type situation where, where a pastor is applying this, where he, you see this pastor who's misapplying uh, law and gospel, you know, he starts off. He starts off uh, misapplying the gospel. He's he's working with this man named Johannes, who's on his deathbed and who believes he's going to hell because he looks back on his life and doesn't think he was repentant enough. And and all he can think to do is is flood him with flowery words of encouragement that are maybe loosely connected to what Scripture would say, <laughs> but they but they don't help him because he is so convicted by the law that these these words have no power and it's not until the neighbor the, the, the friend of the family comes over and then applies the true gospel acknowledges yes johannes you are a great sinner but christ is an even greater savior and here's the scriptural proof um your your problem is you're you're not focusing on your faith you're you don't it's not repentance you lack it's faith i think she says um, and then you get to the end of the story. Uh, by the second chapter, you know, Savonius, the main character, has become this thunderous law preacher, um, and, and he's a total fundamentalist. And then, and then you get to the end of, of the book when he is talking with a friend of his, at the end of this novella, he's talking to a friend of his, and, and the friend is, has discovered what the gospel really is, and he's trying to explain this to Savonius, and Savonius is worried, well, but what happens if we stop preaching the law with all this power, people are going to sin and, or, or people are going to think that, you know, our people are going to think that they can get away with sin and that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm badly paraphrasing. And, and the pastor goes on to tell him, well, yeah, there's a, that danger is there, but that's why we have to seek to divide the word of God rightly. And by that, he means law and gospel. And he says, but I'm going to take that risk because and he and he actually describes himself this this pastor who discovered the gospel describes himself as a prison warden whose vocation is to go around unlocking cells mm -hmm. and 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 he and he says there are so many prisoners who have sat in the same cage as I who have already been set free since the gospel has come into its own 
that um, that makes the risk worthwhile. We don't want to sit in these cages anymore. And then he, he talks about how um, when we when we thunder the way with the law, all we were doing was driving these sinners deeper into their holes of sin. But we need to shine the light of the gospel so that they would lift up their heads and they would come out into the light. Um, so you, that Pastor Linnell talked about how we're not going to be motivated by the law to do good ultimately. Um, it's the gospel that's going to motivate us to do the good works that God calls us to. I love that. I mean, I, that's such a good book. I, I, taking the risk to believe that the gospel will convert people. You remind me of a conversation I had with a brother pastor, not a bad guy, right? We're, we're still friends and all. But where I was saying to him, you know, when you when you say after the Lord's Supper, now this true body and blood of Jesus, may it bless you and keep you unto life everlasting— you're not giving me the gospel. What I want you to tell me is that it's going to, that this true body and blood of our Lord Jesus will strengthen, sustain me steadfast in the one true faith. And he responded to me, he said, yeah, but maybe there's someone who's communion who doesn't really believe. And it, it just strikes like, well, so, so for the sake of the unbeliever, lest he hear the gospel, you won't speak it? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, how about you say maybe, maybe you say it anyway, and he'll he'll believe it or at the very least feed the sheep who's up there hungry for it well that in the god the word of god does what it says that's so you right speak it that's you, right the point where you're you're given to give that to someone that's right not uh, not imply it or uh you know say maybe this might happen and so to scatter that seed heedlessly recklessly on every kind of soil not that the seed doesn't include the law to its fullest, not that we would remove any of what the law actually says right and wrong is, right, as antinomians will, but to not put that law in the place of the gospel and to believe firmly that it is a reckless scattering of the gospel as a reckless gift. It's just, how reckless is it? God died. That's very reckless. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but to do that, trusting that at the end of the day, it is the thing that converts, sustains, upholds, and, and brings us to, to final life everlasting. we got just about a minute left here, and uh, I'll let the first one of you to speak. Go ahead and say something. Uh, okay. okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so with with all of this, um, you know, we as as pastors have been entrusted with this this public office of preaching and doing this as our as our primary vocation. But but to all of you listening, right? It's it's not just academics, professors, pastors, but but all of us. It is the task of of the Christian, right? The Holy Spirit within us that that we do this with all of those that God places in our lives and in, in all of the vocations in which God has given you to serve. You serve as as a as a christian this is a, it's a baptismal vocation that pours out in, and expresses itself in different ways so all of this is not relegated just to the worship service or to us as pastors or to theologians but it is given to the church and the church is is made up of you right as the members in the body of of christ so you know the holy spirit the one doing all of the work but doing it not just through us but but doing it through through you, right? Through all of us. That's Pastor Sean Linnell. He is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. You also heard Pastor Jeffrey Reese, senior pastor at Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church, Tacoma, Washington. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. This is Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition. We'll catch you next week, my friends. Until then, read your paper and rock on. You've been listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue.
To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.